This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. All right, Psalm 131. We are a very short psalm. We're going to pray. Lord, um, good things come in small packages. And you have given to us such a small psalm today, and yet it has so much to say to us. We pray for your blessings as we walk through this psalm, and um, as we journey through it, we need you to lead us and to guide us. Amen. Okay, my question to ponder, what's one thing in your life that seems to need routine maintenance? Something that's all, you always have to keep up, okay? House. House, there's always something going on with that house, right? If a shutter needs to be replaced, filter has to be changed, right? Windows need to be washed. The, the appliances need to be kept up. And, and you notice that things like furnaces and hot water heaters don't last like they used to, right? That's just refrigerators. They used to, my mom and dad have their, their first refrigerator down in the basement behind the bar. It still works. It's from 1950 50 or 51. Yours is still working? <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? 51, that's what my mom and dad. Frigid air. Yeah, yeah. It had a little freezer in it and you always had to defrost it. You know, mom would be in there with the chisel. And then she would say to dad, we need a new one. And he would say, why it still works. If it wasn't for mom, that one would be upstairs yet today. So, <clears throat> all right, what else needs routine maintenance? Homes, cars. What? cars need routine maintenance, right? Rotate tires, oil changes, yeah. Vacuum out all the salt from the, the winter and then the leaves from the fall and there's always something. What else needs routine maintenance? Attacking the weeds. Gardens need routine maintenance. Flower beds need routine maintenance. It's always something to take care of there, right? Finally got rain yesterday. That's good. What else needs routine maintenance? We do, we do don't we? <clears throat> Body, mind, and soul, right? So you should go get a physical on a regular basis. We should take a survey to see. No, we won't, we won't do that to you, right? But you should, right? Have a, have a, a checkup. Um, emotionally, sometimes we just need to kind of wind down a little bit, right? Go, 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 go isn't always good. Those of you who are retired, you go, 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 don't you? Sometimes you just need to slow, 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 slow instead of go, 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 go. Yeah. Spiritual life needs some maintenance, doesn't it? which is why we come to Bible studies and we go to worship and why there are times that we um, uh, talk to someone about our faith. Oh, we have a prayer life and we read the scriptures. Yeah. So um, let me ask you this. Is there something in your life that requires more maintenance than it really should? Is it the car that seems to be in the shop all the time? Is there anything? More weeds than usual. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Sometimes we find that. Um, my, mind. my mind. It sure needs a tune-up, doesn't it? Yeah. So we're going to walk through the Psalms of Ascent. 
And uh, I'm going to ask this question. We looked at repentance, focus, worship, service, help, security, joy, work, blessing, persistence, hope. Out of those, which one stood out the most for you so far? <clears throat> Anyone that you would say, man, I'm glad we looked at that psalm. That really kind of hit me. That touched me. That's kind of where I'm at. Hope. Hope. Good. Who else? Blessings. Blessings. Yeah. Sometimes, some, hope and blessings, right? Sometimes I got to be reminded there is hope in the midst of challenges. Sometimes when there's no challenges, I got to be reminded all those blessings came from God. Yeah. Anyone else? Which one really kind of hit you? Joy. Yeah. There's a constant joy when we're in the Lord, even in times of difficulties. All right. So today we're going to take a look at humility. That's really what Psalm 131 is about. It's about humility. <clears throat> it's a very short psalm, so we should be done by 929. There you go. It is a short psalm, and we're going to read it responsibly. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I don't know if you've ever seen, um, I'm not going to call it a translation of the Bible. Um, it's more like a paraphrase. It's called the message. It's kind of interesting. Um, Eugene Peterson uh, wrote it, and he's an he's a Old Testament scholar. Here's how he translates this, kind of in a paraphrase, modern form. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. So, I mean, it's, this is, that's not a translation. What he's saying is, this is kind of what this is about. And, and we're going to find two major points in this particular psalm, and it means that we're going to require constant maintenance if we want to be able to find ourselves comfortably fit between two challenging points. Life is often about balance. That's a word that we could have used for this psalm, balance. We're going to do humility instead, but as I do this, I'm almost thinking I wish I would have done balance. So you can put that down there too if you want. Balance is extremely important in life, right? So uh, when I'm working with uh, pre-marriage kinds of things, uh, I, I always try to find out uh, where couples are when it comes to finances. You know, are you one of those, let's save it all? And then if we want to go on vacation, we'll have the money. Or are you, uh, let's go on vacation now and we'll put it on a card and we'll pay it off. 
over the time. Are you a saver or a spender kind of thing? And there's a balance in between there, isn't there? Right? I mean, we've seen people who've, who've flittered away their money and found themselves in debt. We've also seen people who've got a lot of money in the bank and aren't taking care of themselves, right? So there's, there's a balance. So there's a balance in the Christian life as well. And we're going to find out what that balance is. So, uh, by way of introduction, Jesus talks about pruning in John 15, 1 through 3. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Who's got tomatoes in their yard? Who, who's looking at their tomatoes now and saying, how am I ever going to eat all of these? I'm with green beans. Green beans. You, got, you got green beans galore every single day. <laughs> Dave, you like green beans, buddy? Yes, sir, you do. We got us green, bay pie, green bean pie and green bean bread and good for you. Um, so on tomato plants, if, if you see the two branches with a V and there's a little bit of growth coming, what are you supposed to do? Prune it. Pinch it off. Prune it, right? Because we want a lot of the nutrition to, to get into the fruit. How many of you have ever had one of those climbing rose bushes that gets out of control? Have you ever had one of those? And, and it doesn't really produce many beautiful flowers, does it? The flowers maybe are kind of small and scraggly because we haven't pruned. Pruning is maintenance. Pruning is important. What this is not saying is, um, it's, this, this portion of scripture isn't necessarily saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to cut you off completely. What it's saying is we need to be pruned so that we can bear fruit. Pruned what, what needs to be pruned off of us? All the, all the new growth. <laughs> yeah, but for a Christian, what is that? What is God actually cutting off of us? Distractions? Yeah. Pride? Pride? Their sin, guilt. What else you think? Self-glory. Self yeah. These are things that we need to get rid of. Correct? We, these things have to be gone. Yeah. So, Psalm 131 is a psalm about pruning. Two things are to be pruned as part of the maintenance of the Christian faith, okay? And this is really what the psalm is about, the opening and the middle verses. The two things are unruly ambition. Unruly ambition. The other thing is infantile dependency. So on the one end is, I got it all together, and I'm going to manage, and I'm going to take control. And on the other end is, I ain't doing nothing. If God's in control, 
All right. Kesara, Sarah. Right? Yeah. So there's the balance. We are called to be in, in the middle. Here's the, here's the problem, though. In our culture, unruly ambition is sometimes pictured as a virtue. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you, when you talk to bosses or managers, who's, who's, who's your best employee? Oh, I got, I got uh, Smith over here. This guy is, and you, nobody named Smith here, right? I got to take a name that's not there. Smith's like my guy, man. He comes in at 6 o'clock in the morning. He doesn't go home until 8 o'clock at night. He's my man. Meanwhile, we're Smith's family. They're all home. Wishing they knew Smith better. Right? Yeah. So that, that's, this is one challenge. And the other, the other challenge sometimes is seen by Christians as a virtue that, oh, if God is all in control, then I don't need to be all that bothered or connected. If, if God has got a plan, he'll work his plan. So I can just kind of back off. Well, that's just it. And, and, and sometimes we, as Christians, we say, oh, yeah, you know what? That's right. Yep, God is, God is in charge, so just take a back seat. So verse 1, uh, O Lord, my hand is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. All right, here's my question. What's the difference between aspiration and ambition? Oh, remember Julius Caesar, right? Why, why was Julius Caesar assassinated? He was said to be a man of great ambition. Ambition. What's the difference between aspiration and ambition? And I'm using ambition as a kind of a negative term here now. Ambition could be mental. Yeah, I, I, I think ambition, for our discussion, ambition is removing God from the picture. Ambition's about me. Christian aspiration is about me growing closer to God. Ambition is about asking God to grow closer to my plan. <laughs> aspiration, in our conversation, is about uh, me growing closer to God's plan. These two words can, can, and they are used differently in normal culture, right? So ambition's not always a bad word in normal culture, right? We, we might say to a kid who's flunking out of school, don't, don't you have any ambition? Yeah, and that's, we understand that. But in, in our conversation today, ambition would, would be one that is kind of moving God out of the picture. It would be ego, easing God out. It's more about me. Um, go ahead. Yeah, but didn't you have an ambition to become a 
I aspired. I, I, you know what? I, I, I said to someone once, when I was little, I wanted to be a pastor so bad, and someone said, you are. You've reached your less than lofty goal. Um, yeah, and again, ambition can be used in a, in, a, in a good way, but for our conversation today, we would, we would say that's more of an aspiration. I want to serve the Lord. But there are some guys, ambition. I had a friend in the seminary um, when they were talking about, well, you know, what kind of church do you want to serve? Uh, so I told them I'd like to serve a church in the Midwest that has a school, so they sent me to the East Coast without a school because that's generally how the seminary listens. Um, my friend said to me, ultimately, I just want to be, a, I want to be the district president. <laughs> Why would you want that? You know? it was, to me, that was a bit ambitious, right? Why? Because it's kind of a neat position. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So um, aspiration, as we want to talk about it today, is the desire to, to grow closer to God and to use what we have been given to the glory of God and the benefit of other people. Sean King is a name that you probably don't recognize whatsoever. <clears throat> but if you followed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1999, you would know the name Sean King. He was quarterback for Tulane. He was drafted by Tampa Bay. Trent Dilfer was their quarterback, and he got hurt. Sean King stepped in, this rookie kid. And I think, I gotta, I think it was ABC was, was televising the game that he was going to start in for the first time. And it's this young kid. And uh, they, they're going to do a, a pregame interview that they actually did in his home. They, they, they did this little interview with him. And the camera starts looking over his shoulder and he's reading something. And it's the Bible. And his comment is, I think God has allowed me this stage so that I can share my faith and love for Jesus in a, in a, in a greater um, picture. And, and, and I'm surprised, first of all, uh, today, 22 years later, they never would run something like that. But he comes from a family that is... Uh, very faithful and, and very church-minded. Um, he, he even said when he, went to, when he went to church, Sunday school kids would come up and ask for the autograph, and, and a couple of them said, all I have is my Bible, and he said, I don't autograph Bibles. And, and so for Sean King, it, it wasn't a, hey, I'm, I'm moving up, and, and he, was, he was one play away from the Super Bowl. Um, and, and it wasn't about, hey, this is going to glorify me, this is who I am. It, it, he saw everything that he did in life was a step closer to serving God. That's it. That was his aspiration. Now, could we say as he was young he had ambitions to be a great quarterback? Sure. And in that context, great. But when it comes to that spiritual context, he had an aspiration of being able to share the good news of Jesus Christ on a bigger stage. Now, he, he didn't really last all that long as a starting quarterback in the NFL, but he did make an impact. I think he's coaching high school right now, and I'm sure he's having some impact on younger kids. Out of curiosity, I don't follow sports, but do you think there's 
any players in the Brewers or Packers that would go and do anything like that or even say anything in an interview? Yeah. Um, in the last interview, uh, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers said, people come here to play because of me. That's ambition, right? Yeah, that's ambition. I, people come here because of me. But nothing about how God they allowed you. No. Um, <clears throat> you know, guys, what's that? And if they did, would they broadcast it? Probably not. Um, who was it? It was a first baseman who played for the Brewers oh, probably 10, 12 years ago. Today they have what's called walk-up music. As you're walking up to the plate, they play music. You get to pick your own walk-up music. And the first baseman for the Brewers, what was his name? He went to the Tampa Bay. Um, his walk-up music was, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. And they, they said, yeah, you get to pick your own music. That's fine. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's some guys out there. You know, Reggie White was one of those guys. You know, he always kind of shared it. And they point up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Tim Tebow. But there are Packers that do that. There are. Yeah. I mean, Tim Tebow will, you know, he'd write John 3.16 or Philippians 4 on his, and got hammered for it. He really did, yeah. Yeah, he got, he was, he was crushed because of that. Um, it just happens. Um, Yeah, of course. Um, another one is Danny Werfel. Nobody's ever heard of Danny Werfel. Danny Werfel won the Heisman Trophy um, a few years back. He's a Missouri Synod Lutheran kid. Um, played a little bit in the pros. He was like second string quarterback for the Packers one year. But he played with the Saints. That was his, that was his first team. And he said when he left the practice facility in New Orleans, he always turned right when he hit a certain street. And he knew going left was a, a dangerous neighborhood. So one day he went left and it, he said it changed my life. And he started a Christian youth organization in that neighborhood. And he still supports it to this day. So yeah, there's, you know, there's a few out there. We just don't hear a whole lot about these men and women anymore, which is kind of sad. You know, Sal Bando is a guy that was pretty um, open about his faith, you know. And again, it, it's not... It's not the ambition thing about, I want to make sure everybody knows I'm a Christian, you know, and I'll be, I'll be the Christian of Christians in the athletic world or whatever. Um, but it's just aspiring to use the platform God gives you, whether that's a parent in a home or a grandparent or a next door neighbor uh, or someone at work. Uh, we aspire to grow closer to the Lord, but also to be a light wherever he, he sets us, right? In a world that's getting extremely more dark. That's it. Yeah. The legend of Faustus. Anybody ever? There's been, there's been plays about Faustus. Faustus was, uh, this was written back in the 1600s, I believe, and it was about a guy who studied law, and he studied um, logic, and he studied medicine, and he studied theology, and he became proficient at all of it. But the thing is, he always felt that there was something above him. 
when you studied theology, what's above you? God is above you, right? When you studied law, what was above you? government or judges or the laws themselves, right? When you studied medicine, there was always something else that needed to be studied. So uh, as, as it goes on, uh, to make the long story short, uh, he uh, made a pact with the devil. He became a magician. And when you're a magician, you are in charge. And the pact was, allow me to be a magician for 24 years and you can have my soul. And, and so this is, this is the idea of ambition. I, do, I don't want anything above me. I want to be it. I don't, I don't want to serve. I want to be served. And sometimes our culture encourages this Faustus-like life. Um, you know, in church things, and, and I don't know, maybe you notice, but when we talk, uh, when, I, when I talk about things like building programs or evangelism programs or capital campaigns or school expansions, um, I, never, I never want to talk about success. I'd rather talk about effectiveness. Because I think there's a difference between success the way the world sees it, and effectiveness, the way God sees it. Jeremiah, the great prophet, was uh, not well-liked in Israel. And I don't think anybody would say, hey, Jeremiah, can you write a book on how to prophesy? Would you do a workshop for us? No, because the people in Israel didn't necessarily like what he was preaching. Maybe not a lot of people came to faith. So by a worldly view, we might say he was less than successful. Was he effective? You bet he was. He was, he was grossly effective because he shared the word of God. So for us, we, we need to be more effective-minded than success-minded. And again, that's in terms of our Christian walk. If you want to say, I want to be a success in selling widgets, hey, great, that's good. I want to be a success at, at a quarterback in the NFL, fine. But I, I think the effectiveness says, I want to get done what God wants to get done. That's what I want to do. I want to get done what God wants to get done. That, to me, that's effectiveness. Um, I, I think also um, we struggle when it comes to servant leadership in our culture. Uh, I, I think leaders want to be served rather than be servants. Um, you know, I look, at, I look at some of our you know, big corporations, our tech corporations, uh, our uh, social media, you know, the idea on social media was, was always to be able to help people to get connected. Today it's, it's to get people connected with the stuff we want them to be connected to. Isn't that challenging? Uh, was it the Chicago Tribune or was, it the, or was it the New York Times? All the news, that, or maybe it was the Washington Post, all the news that's fit to be print? New York Times. 
Was that the Times? Right? Yeah. Today, it's all the news that we feel you should be listening to. We used to say all the news that fits. That fits. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we've lost this real idea of servant leadership, which is when God told Adam and Eve, you know, to, to have dominion over creation, that word dominion, we get the word dominate today, but really is the, the word dominion has this connotation of you serve, you, you lead by serving from underneath. So Jesus comes as the good shepherd, right? He gently leads. He doesn't come as a, as a, a, a cattleman that drives. He's not, a, he's not one who pushes, he's one who, who leads. Big difference. I was listening to a program in the night before I passed. Okay. Only once. Well, the, the gist of this one was his company had grown to be very successful and he was struggling with, am I doing enough to promote, you know, um, the mission of the Lord? And it was bothering him how successful monetarily it was and blah, blah, blah. So he went to his upper echelon of people, his board, and he brought that to a meeting and he asked them to raise their hand if they ever struggled with that and the entire board struggled with it. So they implemented more service projects to spread Christianity. I don't know. So then I was like Googling it and I'm trying to find what does he do? But, you know, but, anyway. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of... Well, you know, if he had embezzled, it would have made the front page, right? But since he's giving money away and giving it to Christian organizations, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot different. Um, unless, unless that Christian organization is deemed socially unacceptable. Yeah, and most of them are. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, what's his name? Was uh, Kester locally? Um, was he with um, M and I? Your, yeah, Dennis. Yeah, strong Christian man. Yeah, does great Christian things. Ron Blue is another guy that was big with I think UPS, and founded a national Christian stewardship foundation. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of folks who have realized that God blessed them in ways that they can be a blessing. And, and their aspiration is to share blessings and to allow other people to, to, to grow in faith or, or to be helped. Um, but it's, man, when we talk about ambition, it's hard to see sin when sin is approved in the culture. Isn't it? Once you start approving, once you start approving of something, it's hard to call it out. So if we were to go back a few generations and we were to say, um, hey, here's an idea. 
let's have a different way of identifying ourselves according to gender. Now, if we did that 50 years ago, people would say, what are you, nuts? Right? Today, they would say, oh yeah, that's important. We got to do that. Right? It's becoming socially acceptable. And once something is, is accepted by the culture in which it resides, it's very difficult to call it out as a sin. Because when Christians call out things as a sin, they're seen as intolerant, right? Judgmental. And, and so it, it, it's, it's tough. Ambition is one of those things that's very hard to call out. My next line I put here is pride is a sin and pride is the father of sin. If you go back to the garden, it was a prideful thing that Adam and Eve really wanted to do, right? The devil said, well, you should be able to eat from that fruit, but God knows when you eat it, you'll be like him. Who doesn't want to be the boss, right? <laughs> but how many times haven't we gone to work and said, man, if I were the boss here, things would be a lot better, right? I say that when I walk in and I go, oh, wait a minute. I am. That's kind of sad. That's really sad. Um, so this whole pride thing, instead of, instead of us finding joy in discovering how God wants to use us, we try to see how we can use God. Or we become more selfish in our relationships. So being part of a Christian, the exciting part is being able to see how God wants to use us, discovering that. I think that's, that's the journey. How does God want to use us? That's the, that's the journey of Abraham, right? Or Abram when he was called, hey, Abram, yeah, what do you need, Lord? Leave your father and your father's gods and all of this stuff behind. And why don't you journey to a place where I'm going to send you? Hey, cool, where are you sending me? Ah, you'll find out. And the journey was as important as the destination. Heaven is our destination. Our journey and seeing how God wants to use us while we're still here is, is equally important. And pride is, how can I use God? That's the ambition thing. The aspiration is, how does God want to use me? Yeah. So meaningful life is found only when, when we live within our purpose. I'm not going to try to run the world. That's God's job. I'm not going to try to run everybody else's life. That's not my job. Now, that does not mean that if I see a, a fellow brother or sister in, in trouble or moving into a sinful life that I don't walk up to them and say, hey, I have a concern. That's different. But to use other people in my ambitions is, is a sin. I was, uh, <laughs> I was talking to one pastor and he was serving on a board in our district and then he opted not to run for it again. And I said, why, you know, why not? Because it, it's not really a good stepping stone for what I really want. 
a stepping stone. Everything we do should be focused on that thing, not the next thing. Not the next thing. And sometimes when you get that next thing, you realize that it's really not what you wanted. Yeah, the other thing seems a lot better, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Ephesians 2. Oh, I got I to tell you, I, I was... Um, when I was in Las Vegas at my daughter's church, their associate pastor was a senior pastor at one time. And um, he took a call to be the associate pastor. And, and he, he was talking to me. He said, you were an associate pastor. I said, yeah, a couple times. And uh, I'm a senior pastor now. And he said, yeah. And um, he said, you know, I was a senior pastor. I said, no kidding. Yep. And he said, you know, being a senior pastor, I think makes me the best associate pastor that ever walked on the face of the earth. And I said, probably. I said, you know, my old associate pastor, Kelm, would say the same thing. He'd say, I think I'm a halfway decent associate pastor because I used to be a senior. And, and I can't tell you how many times he walked in my office and said, oh, man, I know what you're going through. So the ambition. Um, the thing I find really challenging is I'm not don't take this wrong I'm not trying to go anywhere um, but congregations I've heard congregations I help congregations with call processes and I heard some say oh we got to take that guy's name off he's in a big church he wouldn't want to come here really you don't think so because it, do you hear what's happening his ambition would not be to come down to us there is no down there is no down. It's where God has planted you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10. Uh, sometimes we forget 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Horse and cart thing, right? The good works come after we're saved. So good works don't cause our salvation. Good works are a result of our salvation. So verses 8 and 9, we could call justification. Verse 10, we call sanctification, if you want some good theological hardware. Justification, being made right with God is solely through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. Once we have been made right with God, then, verse 10, I get to serve God with works of service. Sometimes Lutherans get real nervous at the term good works. Oh, okay, I'll, works of service, how's that? And, and that God has prepared us to do that. He's gifted us to do that, right? So that we can serve him by caring for other people, that we should walk in them. Walking in them is an aspirational term. It's not so that we can organize, that we can generate, that we can orchestrate our next step up on the ladder. It's that we would be able to walk in the works that God wants us to do. That's call, also called the vocation. So sometimes, well, all the time, if you're married, you're, you have a, a vocational 
life with a spouse. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you have a vocational life. If you're a citizen, you have a vocational life. If you have a job, you have a vocational life. If you have a neighbor, you have a vocational life. And in this vocation, our vocation is, is this. We serve God by serving other people, right? And we can do that in our occupation, no matter what we do, we can serve God. But our vocation is, is uh, to use our gifts and abilities and talents for the greater good. So in Matthew 22, one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Yeah, the whole idea here was there's ten commandments. If Jesus picks one, he's guilty of downplaying the others, right? So Jesus says... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Our vocation is to love God and other people. That, this is what we aspire to. We aspire to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love people around us. So the difference between Christian aspiration and personal ambition is um, Christian aspiration <clears throat> is about God. Personal ambition is about me. And I think the big thing is understanding that God has placed the opportunity in front of you. That's it. Open your eyes. So the second difference is Christian aspiration is about others. I mean, uh, yes, and, and personal ambition is about me using others. John. I can't help but think of our uh, church motto about reaching. Yeah. Uh, ambition to me casts the light of reaching down and grabbing that which you think you need. Aspiration is looking to God up, there you go. Seeing what his pathway is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the focus is always off of me. Yeah. It's off of me. And uh, is it St. Paul who, who wrote, Consider others better than yourself? It can be very challenging to love everybody you have a conflict with. Yeah. It's hard to love everybody, especially the people who don't love me. Or the people who don't agree with me, or look like me, or think like me, or agree with me. Yeah, those are the difficult ones, aren't they? And, and to love these people, see, and sometimes here's where we get our problem. Um, to love someone doesn't mean I always agree with them. Just ask my wife. I know she loves me, but we disagree on certain things. And she wins most of those disagreements, <laughs> which is okay. Well, she's smarter than me, so. But yeah, um, God still loves the people who reject him. So love, love isn't, isn't about giving in or giving up. 
As a matter of fact, love is about aspiring to, to care for other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I get real frustrated because it makes the news, right? There was that one church that every time there was a funeral for a military, especially those who died in the act of battle, they would protest and, and, and they would say, well, the reason we're in war and the reason our soldiers are dying is because we have become so open to uh, the same sex kind of thing. And they would have signs, God hates fags. And it's like, that's not doing the Christian church one bit of good. As a matter of fact, it's hurting our mission. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, if God hated everybody who stepped out of bounds, <laughs> I'm there. He, he, no There'd be nobody left to love. That's it. Except for him and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Holy Spirit and, and Jesus. So we've got the first thing that we're to understand is that we're not supposed to think too much of ourselves. Right? doesn't mean that you actually hate yourself. What it means is you deny yourself and take up your cross. To deny self, it, it doesn't mean that you hate yourself or you constantly put yourself down. But deny self means it's not going to be about me. It, it's putting away a prideful attitude. It's taking up the will of God. The second verse here I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So, my first point there. If thinking too much of ourselves is dangerous ambition, so thinking too little of ourselves is equally dangerous. There is a balance. St. Paul in Romans 7 would say, you know, the, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the evil I don't want to do, this is what I keep on doing. And he, he ends that section by saying, what a wretched man I am, right? So where is there any help for me? Well, then he talks about the grace of God. It is the grace of God that has given me worth. So if we can... If we can fall into danger by thinking way too much of ourselves, we can fall into danger by thinking way too little of ourselves. Um, so here's the deal. The Christian is not the door to heaven, nor is the Christian the doormat on earth. So we're not the door to heaven, but we're not a doormat either. You ever notice how Christians are portrayed in in movies and so forth. How many of you remember WKRP in Cincinnati? Remember that TV show? Uh, Venus Flytrap was on there and Les Nessman, right? And he, he won the Silver Pig Award for his uh, farm report. If you remember on that show, and it was just a little while, they had someone on the show that was a Christian and they always came across as a feeble-minded doormat that was just out of touch with life That's it, right? and I just remember thinking that show was back in the 70s wasn't it yeah. 80s and that's kind of where it began that Christians are, are, are often viewed as feeble-minded out of touch well we're not a doormat 
we weren't designed to be a doormat. Mark 10. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. All right. Our verse says, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. What is a weaned child? One that you keep to yourself. Yeah, it's one that's no longer relying on mother's milk, right? Yeah. A weaned child. We are like a weaned child. Christians are not like a pre-weaned child. Is that a term? Pre-weaned? A pre-weaned child. I just coined a term. That's kind of cool. Um, so so there's, there's, a, yeah, there's a difference between dangerous dependency and a toddler's trust. What's the difference between an infant and a toddler? We have an infant in our family. I get pictures of it. It lays there. <laughs> our five-year-old, when I asked how's that baby, she said he's very soft and very boring. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think they expected it was going to come into the world and start playing with them, but it lays there. What's the difference between an infant and a toddler? Toddlers are on the move. What else? Infants just can't do a stinking thing. The only thing they can do is have stuff come out of various orifices of their body. This is all. This is all they can do, right? They fend for themselves to a certain degree. Toddlers begin to fend for themselves to a certain degree, right? Dependent and independent. Oh, independent, dependent, right? This, this infant that's wrapped all up and swaddled is very dependent. The toddler is becoming more independent. There was another hand up. It's a good thing it wasn't an auction. You would have bought it. <laughs> Anybody ever been to one of those auctions? I sat on my hands. Um, I think what Jesus, so if Jesus is, is comparing us to a toddler, or if the psalmist is comparing us to a toddler, what's the point that the psalmist is trying to get across? Yeah, so toddlers begin to investigate, and toddlers begin to think through. And toddlers start making some decisions and some choices. And the parent's responsibility is to do what? Make sure this, this thinking has got a filter, right? Shape that thinking. So this, I see here 
that dangerous dependency versus toddler's trust. The dangerous dependency is the Christian who says, well, I don't have to do anything. I'm just, you know, because, because I'm a sinner and I can do no good things. So I'm just going to sit here. I was baptized. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back now. I'm not going to do anything. Versus, I'm going to follow Jesus. There's a big difference there, isn't it? You know, Jesus said to these fishermen, come follow me. And they left their nets and their father in the boat and they followed him. And Jesus came across a tax collector, follow me. And he left the tax booth and he followed him. But we also read where some people said, Jesus, I'll follow you. But first, right, I got I to gotta bury my father. And the connotation here isn't that the dad was dead and the funeral was in the morning. It was wait until my dad is dead, which could be years from now. But I got, I got this to do first. The word is first. So Jesus needs to be first. So there's this, I got to, we're called to action. And, and the, uh, again, here's another difference between dependency and trust. Dependency is fatalism. Oh, what will be, will be. And... Trust is aspiration again. I'm aspiring to be what God wants me to be. I'm aspiring to, to be a closer follower of Jesus. I'll never be a perfect follower of Jesus, but I'm pretty sure I can be a better one than I am today. That's why we come here, exactly. The toddler isn't going to say, I'm pretty good where I am right now. I'm three years old. I can get around. I don't need any kind of growth. No. Did you ever hear toddlers talking about what they want to do when they get older? That's kind of cool. They have aspirations. So Christian growth through transition. We've been weaned. So let's compare a nursing child to justification. God feeds us with his word that we are sinful, but Jesus is salvation. Once we have received that, then comes sanctification, which means that I have some opportunity to be involved. You need to say all that again. Really? Yeah. Sorry, I asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to say that again. Yeah, it was. Um, okay. Let's give it a try. Uh, so a nursing baby is like the Christian who's receiving the good news that you can't work your own way to heaven. You're just laying there, right? And, and it's the Lord who comes to us, the Holy Spirit, through word and sacrament. And, and we are given faith, which makes us just, makes us right with God. And then, then we get to start implementing that faith. So sometimes with a toddler, we'll say, would you like carrots or green beans? Oh, I don't like green beans, I want carrots. All right. All of a sudden there's some choices, right? Do you want to go to Bible study in the morning or the evening? There you go. Do you want to go to the contemporary worship or the traditional worship? If the toddler said, I don't want to eat any vegetables, 
mom would say, got to pick, right? I don't want to go to any worship. You really need to pick. So there's some involvement there uh, with us. And we've quieted ourselves through a trust in the Lord. That's where we are quieted. It doesn't mean that we're going to sit down and do absolutely nothing. It is this trust that as I aspire to be closer to the Lord, that I trust that in that walk he's guiding me. There's that quiet trust. And it's not an easy journey. It's not easy being a toddler. How many of you got grandchildren toddlers right now? That's not always easy for them, is it? <laughs> or, or the parents. Grandparenting is fun, isn't it? Oh, look at your nose. Go find your mother. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. Or I send them to grandma. Oh, whatever. Um, but, but it's not easy for, for the toddler, right? They're, it's tough. And you ever notice with toddlers, one minute they're laughing, the next minute they're crying, you're trying to figure out what happened. This is our Christian journey. We can be up, we can be down, but our trust is in the Lord. One, one neat thing about toddlers, though, even if, when they get mad at their parents, they run to them. Oh, sometimes they run away a little bit, but sooner or later they're back, right? Sooner or later they're back, yeah. So our last verse, oh my goodness, and you all thought we were getting out early. The last verse, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth, forevermore. And again, the biblical understanding of hope is certainty, right? And what is the certainty? I am certain that God loves me and he put me in this place to serve him by caring for people around me. Hope in the Lord eliminates two things, selfish ambition and infantile dependence. Voila. We done made it. Psalm 131. Three little verses. Ooh, I don't know if it was if it was John Wesley who said it. It, it might have been. Or maybe it was Spurgeon. I don't know. One of the two who said it, it, it's a psalm that takes such a little time to read, but such a long time to understand and apply. We may, we may never it. And we're never going to understand it fully, are we? Yeah, but but we do, by the Holy Spirit, get enough to understand to impact our lives. All right, what are we praying for? Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless.